I've got a couple of announcements. Uh, one is that there is a high school Bible study tonight here at 6.30. If you're in high school, obviously you're invited and certainly let people know as well. Uh, today we do have our, our special quarterly missions offering. And I know we're not passing offering, but you can, you can just designate your, your donation um, and put it in the offering box out there that goes to our, our missionaries. Check the Creekside News for some other announcements. I'm not going to cover everything. I'll just mention there is a diaper and wipes shower that we have an uh, opportunity to participate in for, for Eric and Ange. And then Brooke's wedding shower as well is coming up on August 22nd. So check for details on those. I think we're, we're ready to uh, hand it off to Steve. Let's uh, go ahead and pray and uh, ask the Lord's blessing on uh, looking into his word. Father, I do pray that it would be true for each of us that we would say with sincerity in our hearts, oh, how I love Jesus, uh, because he first loved me. And I ask now, Father, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truths of your word. I pray that your spirit would speak to each of us that the truths that are contained in this passage of Scripture would wash over us and that they would bring about change in our hearts and change in our lives. So, Lord, do with us what you want at this time for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, my dad is my hero. And as a young boy... I remember that we would be boxing or we'd be wrestling. And for those of you who don't know my dad, you know, I, I always wanted to be as, as big and as strong and as talented as him. And uh, I'm still waiting uh, because uh, my dad is uh, six foot two and 200 pounds, and uh, he was uh, quite a, an athlete, and everything he touched you know, went, you know, went well. And I remember as a boy, we'd be boxing, or we'd be getting ready to box, or, uh, yeah, we did, we boxed, we bought boxing gloves, and uh, we, we went at it, and uh, we wrestled, and we did all those kinds of things, and I remember my dad, uh, you see, he was, he was so much bigger than me, so I tried to psych him out, you know, this is my psyching my dad out, I said, Dad, remember, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. And my dad, without missing a beat, would say, I'll take a good big dog over a good little dog any day. And this morning, as we gather for worshiping the Word of God, worshiping God, we, we need to remember that in the cosmic battle of good versus evil, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And He sent His Son to redeem us from our sins. He sent His Son to restore us back into right relationship with him because he created this world perfect but because of sin it was marred and we went our own way and he sent his son to reverse the effects of the of the fall but for us to have any confidence that this son that he sent this Jesus is really indeed the one who can conquer sin death and the devil well we kind of like a little evidence to substantiate that he's really that guy and we looked couple weeks ago in Matthew chapter 8 verses 1 through 17 in which Jesus mastery his authority over the effects of sin disease you know the leper and and deformity the paralysis and and over spiritual death he he 
gave us a hint that, yeah, this he's somebody to be reckoned with. We need to take a, pay attention to who this Jesus guy is. And now this morning, we're going to look at a couple of really marvelous, spectacular evidences of Jesus' power, his remarkable actions in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 34. They, they prompt a question, and then they provide the answer to this question. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? As Jesus proves himself to be the good big dog in the fight against all that is assailing us as the people of God and as people on this planet. And even though we're not people of God, it is this Jesus who has the answers. And so if you'll turn with me in your Bibles or on your device or whatever it is you might have, whether you're here at home, to Matthew chapter 8, I'm going to read the text and we're going to look at these two demonstrations of Jesus' power. And these two demonstrations of Jesus' power, and I want you to listen because I, I think this is true, they, they do several things for us. First of all, they confirm Jesus' identity. And secondly, they comfort believers on our journey in faith. And not only that, but they also serve to compel us to Live sincerely for Him. Remember last week we talked about this, the difficulty and the priority that we need to place on following Jesus. And so these demonstrations do that. And finally, they challenge every skeptic to receive and respond to God's mercy. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 23. And when He got into the boat, His disciples followed Him. And behold, there arose a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves. But he himself was asleep. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you timid, O you men of little faith? Then, they, then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this? See, who is this guy? That even the winds and the sea obey him. And when he had come, down, come to the other side, into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demoniacs, demon-possessed, met him as they were coming out of the tombs, and they were so exceedingly violent that no one could pass by that road. And behold, they cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Son of God? How Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was at a distance from, the her from them a herd of many swine feeding, and the demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Be gone! And they came out and went into the swine, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. And the herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including the incident of the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, and they entreated him to depart from their region. These are amazing stories about what Jesus did. And what happened in the course of life. So here, the first demonstration of his authority is his authority over earthly forces. And there are like four scenes in this drama that unfolds as Jesus embarks and goes across this sea with his disciples that confirm his identity. 
and reveal his authority that does confirm his identity. First of all, we see their devotion, which is initial, their initial devotion or their devotion initially in verse 23. It says, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Now, we must remember, if you look up at verse 18, his departure had been delayed. He said, let's go across to the other side. Well, his departure was delayed as he was delineating to those would-be disciples the cost of discipleship. Uh, I don't have any place to lay my head, so you want to follow me? Yeah. Oh, I'll go wherever you want me to go, Jesus. Yeah, right. I don't even have a place to lay my head. Oh, Jesus, I have this, my father needs to be buried. And we talked about that whole deal. It's probably, he wasn't even dead yet, but he wanted to stick around to get his portion of the inheritance, all this sort of stuff. And Jesus has laid it out for him. Well, now he's, he's ready to go. And so he decides to leave. I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but in 1907, Ernest Shackleton was uh, conscripted and volunteered to lead an expedition to Antarctica, okay? And this was an exploratory expedition that went wrong quickly. And this is a picture of their ship stranded on an iceberg in Antarctica. And you can look it up and read the rest of the story. I think miraculously most of the people survived. But here is the advertisement for those who would be on this voyage. Here's what it said. Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, and recognition in event of success. So just in case we survive this, you'll be a hero. <laughs> Chances are you're not going to. Okay. Given the cost, it was amazing. The, they were overwhelmed with the number of people who signed up for the, this expedition. Jesus had just laid out for them the cost of following him. Difficulty, and you must make me the priority, and you must put me first. Likewise, his disciples, and we're talking particularly the ones, you know, his closest disciples, they got in the boat with him, and they headed on this voyage, they'd counted the cost, and they were committed to follow Jesus. What about you? What about me? Are we committed to follow Christ wherever he leads us. Do we understand that in our own selfish, sinful life, we are headed away from God? That's who we were born as rebels. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. We are either fighting God, saying, God, I know what you want me to do, but I'm not going there. Okay? Or we're playing God. Oh, I'm doing pretty well on my own. Thank you very much. I really don't need your help. God. And because of that, we deserve our rebellion, deserves his wrath and his punishment. The wage of sin is death. But God, in his infinite mercy, sent his son Jesus. And he died on the cross to pay the debt for our sins so that if we would believe or trust in him, we wouldn't be separated from him, but we would be in a relationship with him and we could follow him wherever he goes with confidence that he goes with us. All we need to do is put our faith or our trust in Christ and, and, and turn over to Him. He died in our place, Romans 5, 8 says. It's like those three chaplains on the USS Dorchester during World War II. The ship was sinking. And the three chaplains gave up their life preservers so that three of the other sailors would live. 
They sacrificed their lives for the lives of others, and that's what Jesus did on the cross. So that if we would truly believe and trust in Christ, we'd be delivered from our sins. And I was thinking, you know, how many times have I shared that from the pulpit, what I just said? Many times. But do we grow old of hearing the story? I love to tell the story. T'will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. This is what Jesus says, follow me. Follow me and you will not go wrong. It will not be without cost. Jesus calls us to himself to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, to accept him fully. This is not cultural Christianity. This is not, well, we go to church because that's who we are as a people. This is not comfortable Christianity. Well, you know, as long as I'm okay with it, as long as it, it works for me, I'm in, I'm down, you know, count me in. This is not convenient Christianity. If it works into my schedule, then I'll, I'll go along with it. But you know, if Jesus would ask me, actually ask me to visit with my neighbor, like I mentioned last week, when I have a project to be done, or in the middle of my trying to purchase stuff at the store and someone actually needs my help, and you, of all things, Jesus would ask me to actually serve another person. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm into that. No, this is... Jesus accepted as Messiah, Savior from my sin, and Master, Lord of my life. This is acceptance of Jesus as Savior and Sovereign Lord. Follow me, he says, they got in the boat. This is Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny, he says to disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. It doesn't say daily there, but it does in another verse and follow me cross daily every day die to yourself daily that's the that's the call that's the call so it's it's not like okay i sign up for this jesus thing and i know everything that god is going to ask of me when i sign up no but i do trust that god is good enough that wherever he takes me he goes with me so then that not only did we we have this picture of the devotion that was initially but the next phase or stage or scene that unfolds is that we see the doubt in the face of difficulty look at verse 24 and behold there arose a great storm two diff two considerations first of all the difficulty there arose a great storm isn't it amazing that jesus had just said oh hey i got no place to lay my head and you're going to have to give me top priority come follow me and immediately after hardship was promised hardship was experienced what was theoretical a few moments ago now became actual. It's not so easy to follow me now. They had not signed up for that, they didn't think. It made me think. You can see this picture of the blown out streets in, uh, in Lebanon. Uh, I want you to see this picture because uh, I have some friends who just returned from the Middle East and they were doing ministry uh, among people and I, it made me think about what, what, what would the believers, the new believers and the, the Christians in Lebanon, what would they be thinking right now? 
How would they be feeling about following Jesus when their family members have been destroyed by a bomb? When they can't even have food and water, is that like, oh yeah, let's, we're following Jesus. We're really all in for following Jesus when some of them are just new in the faith. Or maybe they're even considering Christ and they've never committed their lives to Christ. And Jesus says, come and follow me. There's, there's hardship. Now notice the, the severity of the storm in the text. This is a, a bad storm. I want you to look at this picture of the Sea of Galilee so you can see what the sea actually looks like topography wise. So the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. Okay, And so Mount Hermon rises to the north of the Sea of Galilee 9,200 feet. So that would be 9,800 feet above the Sea of Galilee. Okay, And so then boom, the winds, the northerly winds come down through the Jordan Valley and they rush down through the valley and then they meet the warm air that rises up over the Sea of Galilee and it only quickens the pace of the wind and then it ricochets and bounces off of the cliffs on either side of the Sea of Galilee and it begins to churn the water and this is a massive storm notice the wind was blowing it says the wind was blowing and in Mark chapter 4 verse 37 it says a fierce gale okay in verse 24, the word storm is most often translated earthquake. <laughs> this was a water earthquake, if you will, okay? It was a violent shaking. The wind was shaking the, the water violently. And then there were waves. Uh, verse 20, so that the, the, the boat was covered with the waves, you know? And... Mark says the boat was already filling up. The disciples feared that they were going to die. We're perishing, they said to Jesus. Now, this is the storm that's taking place, right? So, follow me. They get in the boat, and here's the stormy seas. And you know what, folks? Everyone here understands what it's like to face difficulty. If you've committed to following Christ, and even if you haven't committed to following Christ, but those who followed Christ know what stormy seas are like. Sometimes it's natural disasters. Sometimes it is a tornado. Sometimes it is a flood. Sometimes it is an earthquake. Sometimes it's a pandemic. But sometimes the difficulty, the storm of life might be persecution from our family. It might be alienation from our friends. It might be discrimination at the workplace. It might be that we're suffering cancellation from the culture, you know. You didn't say the right thing, so you're out, you know. You're not my friend on Facebook anymore. I'm not your follower on Twitter anymore. Shutting you off of Instagram, out with you, you're done. And we know what it's like. Some of us know what it's like to lose a loved one. Some of us like know what it is to be separated from people that we care about because they choose to leave. Others of us know what it is to struggle financially, to have opposition to what we're trying to do. Good ministry, you're trying to show Jesus love and people are in our face. I think about our brothers and sisters in California and Nevada that are trying to worship God in God's house this morning who are under the gun from the government. Storms. And they come. But notice what Jesus is doing. He's asleep. 
Seriously. I mean, when I read this, I'm going, you have got to be kidding me. The boat is being rocked violently, and the waves are filling up the boat. You ever been wet when you try to sleep? I mean, you ever been rained on in a tent? It's like, that is the most offensive feeling in, in life. You know? Oh, the, 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 the cold water is just rising on the ground as your sleeping bag becomes soaked. And Jesus is asleep. Don't miss this marvel of Jesus' humanity. Here it is, folks. Jesus had been pouring his life into people. The travel, the communication, and the teaching and the miraculous works that he were doing took a toll on his physical body so that he was exhausted. I've slept through some pretty nasty storms in my life. You know, wake up, oh, did you hear all that? No, no, I did not hear it. Because of his exhaustion, Jesus was asleep. And sometimes you and I feel like Jesus is sleeping through our storm. But he's not. He was trusting in the Father. And Psalm 4 verse 8 talks about the, the trust that we can have in who God is. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. In peace I will lie down and sleep, O Lord, because you alone make me to dwell in safety. There are times... And it seems like God's there. Then we see the doubt that comes on. Okay, that's the difficulty. But then there's this doubt in verse 25. Yeah, and they came to him and awoke him. And now you've got to remember that some of these guys are fishermen. Okay? And like when the fishermen are freaked out, then it's a bad storm. And they say, wake us. We want to try to wake him up. And they awoke him and they pled for their lives. Lord, they said, Lord. So they acknowledged his mastery, that he is the master. I just don't think they fully comprehended and understood his might at this time. I mean, yeah, they said, Lord, save us. But we know that they were freaked out by the fact of how he saved them. They didn't know how this was going to happen. I think their hope, save us, was hampered by their doubt. I know intellectually that God is present. I know intellectually that he is powerful and able to save me, but I'm just not convinced of it in my heart. Ever been there? I, I, you know, in, in the midst of the storm, I know that he's able. In the midst of serious trials, we know intellectually that he's present. Emotionally, we wonder if he's really particularly interested in my situation. Is he interested in, in, in your sorrow? Is he interested in your suffering? Is he interested in your loneliness? Is he interested in your anxiety about an uncertain future? You just don't know what's going to happen. Is the Lord interested in those things, your confusion? Does he really care if I have cancer? Does he really care if I lost my job? If my friends won't speak to me? If my family is alienated from me? Does God really care? If I'm afraid to leave my house for fear that I might get COVID. And we see the demonstration of his authority in verse 26. And he said to them. Now, 
in the midst of the storm, they wake Jesus up, the storm's still raging violently, and then Jesus says, oh, time out, I got a little lesson I want to teach you. Why are you so cowardly? That's my loose translation of that. Why are you such wimps? Why are you afraid? Why are you so timid? And I think that Jesus deliberately, you know, sought to teach them at this point because he wanted to force them and force us to focus on his power, not our problem. I've got this, Jesus, in a manner of speaking, says. So, Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you except my problem right now. That one, I'm pretty sure you can't handle. No, you can't. Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great hand and by, your, by your, your great power and your outstretched hand, nothing is too difficult for you. That's it. I remember vaguely, but I was a young boy, and my, I was with my parents in the car, and we're driving along, and we came to the, there had been a lot of rain, and so the, the river was flooded. It was out of its banks, and we drove down this gravel road towards the river, and the river was swollen and moving really fast. And I, I was like, my parents were present. I knew that they loved me. It wouldn't endanger me. But I was freaked out. I was scared. In the same way, folks, those of us who are walking with Jesus can know of his presence, can know of his power intellectually, but still in practical terms be afraid of what's happening right now in, in, in our presence. We lose sight of the truth of Psalm 46. He's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. Ah, in our human frailty, what we know in our head isn't always firm in our hearts. It isn't always firm. But the Lord, Lord of the universe wanted the disciples in. He wants his followers now, I think, to understand three things about what, what it is that assails us, these things, the storms. He wants us to ride them out with this confidence, to trust him that, number one, that we are either going to be saved from the current difficulty, we're going to be strengthened by, or we're going to be sent to glory because of. So we're going to either be saved, strengthened, or sent to glory because of this thing. It's a win all the way around. Now, grant you, we may not be saved in our time, we may not be strengthened without a lot of pain, uh, and we may not be sent to glory without a lot of difficulty, but that's the promise. When our faith falters, let us be like the guy, the man in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. He says, Lord, I believe. Would you just help my unbelief? Isn't there refreshment in that? <laughs> Lord, I believe. Just, just help my unbelief. And then Jesus, you know, so he silenced the skeptics. That was the first step that he made in demonstrating his authority. Then he, he stopped the storm. And Mark chapter 4, verse 39 says, he said these words, hush, be still. Hush, be still. Okay. Now, I could get into this because I, I love science. 
But if you look at this, the storm stopped and the waves and the wind stopped simultaneously, instantaneously. It was like, boom. Now, phys physics knows that an object in motion tends to stay in motion until acted upon by an equal and opposite force. But Jesus just said, stop. When my kids were growing up, you know, I'd give the word, hey, dinner's ready. Looking around, waiting, waiting, waiting. Nobody shows up. We'd be going someplace. I'd say, I'm leaving. Get in the car. Sit there. Sit there. Sit there. Nothing. Jesus says, stop. Boom. Wow, this is the king. As Paul said in Colossians, the end of Colossians chapter 1, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things come into being. He controls it all. He's in charge of it all. And that leaves us out. What kind of a guy is this? What, who is this guy? And if you're listening, you're here this morning, and you're kind of a skeptic about this person, Jesus, all I have to say to you is, would you consider a couple of things? First of all, contemplate his identity as the king in light of his actions. Okay? And then consider, consider that he wants to extend mercy to you. The same God who stilled the storm can still the storm in your heart and can rescue your soul from hell. And confess your sin and turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. He is the only answer to our des desperately needy world. And come into his family by faith. And those of us who know Christ, what a, what a, what a comfort that God's power is with us in the storm to face the difficulty. Those who trust in the Lord will be like Mount Zion which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord encamps around those who are his people. Psalm 125, verses 1 and 2. Do you know that the Lord is encamping around you, his people? You cannot be moved. You cannot be moved. And then we should be compelled. Yeah, I want to follow this guy. You know, I want to be down seriously into this forever because there's no better way. He, first of all, he shows his authority over the forces of the earth. Secondly, he shows his authority over evil spirits. Three authoritative interactions in verses 28 through 34. Three actions that confirm his identity. First of all, we see the Lord's encounter with the demoniacs. And there's three details that I want you to focus on first of all the location verse 28 and when he had come to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes and you can look at this map of the Sea of Galilee where it's located in geography and if you see it up here over there where it says Gergesa okay that's the eastern side it's it's somewhere between Capernaum and Gergesa on the north northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee that's where they went okay 
That's the location. Now imagine this. That, that's where they, they went, and they had just survived the storm. Oh, whew. You know, that, that difficulty's done, and boom, they land in a land that is hostile. <laughs> hostile pagans and hardened Israelites against the gospel. Okay, so uh, some of you, may, it would be, it'd be like, uh, okay, the bus from DMC is, land, is, is stopped and all the students, the ball players are going into the gym at Van Meter, okay, <laughs> hostile territory, okay, Johnston's playing Urbandale, Urbandale's playing Waukee, uh, hostile territory, you know, we're, we're in hostile, hostile territory. So they went from the sea to the land, but the scenery didn't change much because in both places they're facing difficulty. And... We see what happens, the demoniacs, and we see the condition of the demoniacs. Now, you can read this later, but Matthew talks about two, whereas Mark and Luke mention one, okay? So what's the deal? Well, I think Mark and Luke are just talking about the most important one, okay? There were two, but there's one that's predominant, okay? So they're talking about the predominant demoniac. A demoniac is one who has been controlled and empowered by Satan. Either one or more demons is in charge of that person. So that's what's happening. And they're living in, a t- in tombs. Now, I hope I don't have to say, that's not normal. Okay? These are like hewn out places in the rock where they have buried dead people. So, but because Satan is so perverse and uh, caught up with the dead that this is natural that they would be there, but it's not natural. And then we see their violence. They're breaking chains and breaking shackles, and they're so violent that people don't even want to pass that way. They're, they're freaked out. They're scared. They don't want to go. I mean, it'd be like some places, some neighborhoods in Portland and Seattle right now that you just really wouldn't want to be, you know, hanging out. Evil was tangible. They could feel the wickedness in the place. First time Marla and I stopped to get something to eat in Las Vegas. It was really weird. I could feel evil. I mean, I could feel wickedness. I could feel it palpably. I I was like, whoa, this is really strange. I've been in other places overseas and other places where I could, I could sense it. I'm not like I'm majorly in tune with these things, but I, I could sense it at, at, this, at this time and, and other times. They could sense it. And you see, I think it's very evident that human violence against other humans and against humans themselves is not of God. It is of the enemy. It is His perverse influence. Now Jesus chose this path from the sea to this spiritual battle to show his might and to show his mercy. Don't miss that. Not only his might, but to show his mercy. We see the confession of the demoniacs that affirm his authority. Look at verse 29. And behold, they cried out saying, what do we have to do with you? Three insights. First of all, uh, they really didn't like Jesus. Okay, Basically what they're saying when they say, what do we have to do with you is, leave us alone. You're bothering us. You're, you're, you're cramping our style. You know, it's, it's uh, the, the, the parent who walks into their teenager's room. What are you doing? 
You know, it's like, whoa, excuse me, who's paying the bills here? Uh, thought I paid the utilities and the lights and the heat and electricity and food on the table? No, you, okay, we don't go there. But teenager, you know if you're a parent, teenagers is like, you're invading my space. They were invading, Jesus uh, was invading their space. They didn't like that. Now notice, then they, they talk about Jesus' identity. You, son of God. Now we know Jesus is the Son of God, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born as Emmanuel, God with us. But this takes us clear back to Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, God says of his people Israel, you are my son and out of Egypt I will bring you. And then that prophecy there is applied to Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. He says, out of Egypt have I called my son. Jesus is the representative head of his people, the Son, and he is delivered out. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was prophesied the Son, the Messiah, and the point is this. Don't, all that stuff, don't miss the point, I guess. The demons knew who Jesus was. They had an accurate, and in theological terms we'd say Christology. They understood who Jesus was, but amazingly, and Soberingly, even though their confession of Jesus as the Son of God and their conduct in bowing, we see that in Mark chapter 5, verse 6, confirmed that they understood he was the Son of God, did not bring them to surrender to him as the Son of God. Don't miss it, folks. It's possible to call Jesus the Son of God, but never surrender to him as the Son of God. And I hope and I pray that that's not you today or ever. But that you would not only call him son, but that you would submit to him as the son of God. And I ask you, do you truly believe that Jesus is the son of God? Have you surrendered to him as the son of God? That is the question. And if you haven't, then do so. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. And then they, they acknowledge his absolute authority. Have you come to torment us? Verse 29. What does that say? They understood Jesus' power and his position as their judge. Because in the end, and we're going to skip over these, Chad, but in Matthew, you can write them down, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, and Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, we see that Jesus will ultimately judge the devil, Satan, and his angels, which these are his angels. And they're saying, you're going to do that now? Which means they understood that he could do that. And that he had authority to do that. No. That's their encounter, but the encounter. Now look at the exorcism in Matthew chapter 8, verse 30. Now there was uh, at a distance from them a herd of swine. Mark tells us that there were 2,000 there. And the demons began to entreat him, saying, If you're going to cast us out, there's a request of the demons. <laughs> if you're going to cast us out, Jesus, obviously, you have the ability to do this. But they were seeking permission as to their own destiny. Okay, uh, young people, you ever been in trouble? Uh, did something you shouldn't do? And dad and mom come in and they say, okay, this is what's going to happen. But before they get a word out of their mouth, oh, 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 just give me some extra chores. Don't take my PlayStation 3 away from me. Uh, don't, don't take the car keys away. You know, you have another, you're bargaining. You, you want the, the least of the worst. That's what they're doing. Can we go into the pigs? Just let us go into the pigs. 
Don't send us to eternal torment. Folks, one thing I think we should gather here is the enemy's desire to deceive us. The enemy's desire to discourage us. The enemy's desire to destroy us can extend no further than our sovereign Lord permits it. He's in charge. He's in charge. It can extend no further than God permits it. Okay? That's, he says, be gone. Be gone. The rebuke of Jesus is, be gone. It's absolute authority that, that, he, or that he has power over the forces of evil. Now, we, you can read Jude. The angel Gabriel refused to, to mock the, the devil because he understood his authority and power. This is not game, fun and game stuff. The demons and spiritual forces of darkness have great power not to be rec- messed with, and Jesus just told him, go. Be gone. Get out of here. And the devil obeys. For, for, for his mischief, Satan's mischief to materialize, God must permit it because he has some higher or holier purpose. And we see his higher and holier purpose, secondly, in the fact that we see his mercy. In Mark chapter 5, verse 19, I want you to see this on the screen because this is Mark's rendition of what happens at the end. And it says, and he did not let him, that is, Jesus is telling this guy who he had cast the demons from, you can't come with me. Why? He says, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. And now the last phrase, and how he has had mercy on you. Not only did he demonstrate his might and power, authority over the forces of evil, but he extended his love and compassion and mercy towards this person. Never underestimate the power of the enemy, but never sell out because the Lord's authority and power is still superior. Okay? You know, 1 Peter chapter 5, the, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He prowls around like a roaring lion. But we should be comforted. Christ protects us. Christ has power over the forces of the enemy. We should be, have courage to draw upon and, and request and rely upon Jesus' power in our difficulty. Because he is able. Though the wrong, and you look around you folks, and you tell me there's not a lot of wrong in our world right now. Though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Yes, the expulsion, Jesus, we see this expulsion of the, of the, the, the demons. And the report, they report his activity. That's the third thing that happens here. We, they report his activity. Notice it says in verse 33, and they went back. Who went back? The guys that had the pigs, you know, the pigs. They went into the pigs, and the pigs went over the cliff, and they all drowned. The guys who were watching the pigs went into the town, and what did they do? They told the town everything. They told them, we had 2,000 pigs that just drowned, and these two demon-possessed guys are now sitting in their right mind. Now, that kind of freaked everybody out. They wanted to go see. So that was, that was this report that came to the people. And then Jesus is requested to leave. That's a request for vacancy. Jesus, would you leave? Do you notice what happened to the disciples? After Jesus calmed the storm, who is this guy? And one of the parallel passages says they were frightened. They were more frightened of Jesus than they were of the sea. Now what happens after Jesus casts out the demons? They're more frightened of Jesus than they are of the demoniacs. Get out of here. They said, we, we, they couldn't understand it. 
They couldn't explain it. All they knew was to be afraid of it. They were afraid of Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, uh, verse 35. Uh, I want to see that. Okay, there it is. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out. Obviously, according to Matthew, there were a couple of them. Sitting down on the feet, at the feet of Jesus and in his right mind, and they became frightened. Why? Because Jesus has power over evil spirits. Jesus has power over the forces of, of the earth, earthly forces. It's understandable. And so they entreated him to leave. They feared what they could neither control or explain. And Jesus told the guy, he wanted to go with Jesus. I'm all down. I'm following Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you just stay here and tell everybody about the mercy I extended to you. And folks, if you're listening this morning, you've never received that mercy, I want you to know that Jesus is extending that same mercy to you. He will forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness and bring you into his family. And those of us who know Jesus, guess what he wants us to do? At minimum, he wants us to stick around where we're at and tell other peoples of his great mercy that he has extended to us. That's what he wants us to do. When my dad and his friend, they used to go to farm sales. Maybe you don't know what that is, but they're auctions. They have farms. They sell their household goods. They sold some of the stuff, the machinery, the tools, all that stuff out at the location. At least that's how they used to do it. Now I think they do it online, virtually. You know, you sit there behind your computer and bid. But you used to have to drive out to the farm, farm place. And there would be all kinds of traffic on the road. I mean, people would park a half a mile away to get down to this farmstead and walk and buy the stuff. And sometimes you'd get blocked in by somebody who was parking because they don't care. They're going to the sale and they'll block you in. I remember my dad telling me a story that he said, one time we were at a sale and some guy pulled in right behind us and blocked us in. And so my dad said to his friend, he said, Richard, um, would, you, would you ask that guy to move? Well, you have to know who Richard is. Richard was six foot five and weighed 285 pounds, and he was not sloppy. And so when he got out and towered over the vehicle of the people who had just pulled in behind my dad and said, move. Everybody knows that Richard was the superior authority, and he was in charge. When Jesus calmed the sea. And when Jesus said to the demons, be gone. His authority over earthly forces and his authority over evil spirits sealed the deal. He is the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the master. He's in charge. And in doing so, he confirms for us his identity. As believers, he comforts us along our spiritual journey. He's with us every step of the way, and he's in charge. He compels us to follow him sincerely. And if you do not know Christ as your Savior, he challenges you to accept his mercy. And as we close our service with breaking of bread and actually taking the little cup thing that's in front of you and pulling the top tab off and taking the bread and the cup... 
Think about this. It was Jesus' death, remembered through these symbols of bread and, and cup, and his resurrection that finally confirmed, ultimately, his victory over sin, over death, and over the devil. That he's a savior worth following. And we can remember that today and rejoice in it because he's on our side. So as our praise team comes, as they sing this last song, my encouragement to you is to take a few moments to thank God for who he is and what he's done. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, to turn from your sin and trust him. And then at the time you feel led, then take the, the top tab flap and open it and take the bread and then take the cup in the quietness of your own heart. If you are a believer, we invite you to join us in doing that this morning. And let me just close in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, your son, Jesus, whose authority over earthly forces and over evil spirits confirms who's in charge, confirms to us that Jesus is the Messiah, also comforts those who know Christ, that we have the powerful presence of God Almighty in our corner, compels us to live fully for you. And Lord, I pray that those who may not know you this morning, who are listening, who may be here, they would wave the white flag of surrender and say, yes, he's worthy for me to follow him wherever he leads. We pray in Jesus' name.